I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Here at William Hill, you'll find pre-game and in-play cricket odds on loads of competitions. From test matches to one-day internationals, T20s and domestic cricket, we've got everything covered. Visit WilliamHill.com 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Season four of Middle Please Umpire is sponsored by Step One. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. We are back. Uh, we certainly are. After um, who was Prime Minister the last time we did one of these, Mark? I don't know. Who was the monarch? Uh, oh my word! Yeah, what a time of extraordinary change. Yes, gosh, I'd forgotten that. Where where were you when all when that was when that I was, was actually in London. There was the game of the Oval. I'd gone down to um, bowl at the Test Lads or, or warm up with them, and. Um, yeah, it was they called off the the day, didn't they? That one day was called off. Um, oh, that's obviously right. all kicked off. Yes, because I was there um, the day after. I was going to meet you. So yes, I was at the Oval when it was entirely silent. In fact, silent by the time the players and the umpires walked out. Absolutely. Well, um, what was that like from from a crowd point of view? It was it was like a sort of amazing piece of theatre, to be honest. That sort of awareness that there's so many people there and total silence, partly because of not quite knowing what to do. Obviously. Uh, you'd have had to have been very old in that crowd to have gone through that sort of protocol before. So people went silent as soon as they thought that might be the possibility that it was about to happen. So, yeah, the, the umpires and the players filed out and indeed uh, assembled in total silence before the yeah. actual silence happened. Uh, so it's quite extraordinary. And then and then when the cricket started, it was um, absolute mayhem. I mean, all day it was mayhem. It was just wickets sort of all day, like you'd get on a sort of, mm-hmm. sort of standard county pitch, except it wasn't that. It was just sort of pressure and excitement. And very good bowling by England. And then and then that kind of slightly, almost frighteningly aggressive batting that England do sometimes. Would, we have, would we have talked um, about, last time we were on this together, had I played for Ashington? You'd played for Ashington and then been in, well, I can't remember now what's what's real life and what's the podcast as it were. You had a game for Ashington, and then you couldn't really move your arm afterwards. So you had another, you had an operation. Then you played. Then you needed to have another operation. Yeah, and now I'm is, known on the circuit as Mark the Stitchless. You're, it's all gone. Not, a, just, not a stitch remaining. 
Were they um, soluble stitches, or did you have to have them pulled out by a, 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 a nurse or similar? I uh, went went to the England doctor's house, who lives in Newcastle, believe it or not, and he took my stitches out. And for good measure, I think that's I think completely he, he was, believable. The idea that he'd live in Newcastle—that is actually where he lives. He well, because obviously the one player that needs all the attention is me, so he has to move closer to me. I think it's probably, um, probably move there for the probably move there for the work. <laughs> Thought that's where I'll be, and then he uh, saved me a lot of time on the train. He took all the stitches out and um, he was like, oh, I think I've, I've missed one. I think he deliberately left it in. And then two months later, I was getting some physio on my elbow, getting it rubbed. And the physio went, oh, that's a stitch in your arm. I've just pulled out pulled out one of the stitches. Ow. And it, but it didn't hurt? Nah, nah. It was right close to the surface. It was absolutely fine. Um, a, yeah. So what have a, you been doing? What have well, you been doing? The job that I was doing when we spoke in June, I carried on doing until something like September the 2nd, and then I had a whole week off, although that was the week the children started back at school. And then since then, I went to London, believe it or not, and I um, rehearsed a play. I'm now in the second or third week of performances. We opened in Cheltenham, or sort of press night was last week, and then we must have done previews the week before. And I'm now, it's on a tour, it's a tour of a show called The Lavender Hill Mob, which was like an old Ealing comedy film from the 1950s with Alec Guinness and Stanley Holloway in. Um, I am doing it, me and my great friend Justin Edwards are in it, and a fantastic cast of people who are very good fun. We're all on stage the whole time, uh, which I love. So it's proper proper teamwork. Proper and ensemble. do they like corridor cricket, wherever you're staying? I mean, that's co- where we are in Australia now. I can tell you that all the families are in the corridors. So if you hear a ban, yeah. it's because they're playing corridor cricket. Adil Rashid son is batting Mo and Ali's son was bowling I believe that the physios kids were there Liam Dawson's son was there so Have there's a good noticed, crew in family cricket has DRS changed the sort of the way people bat in family cricket in terms of you know whether it's like bat out in front of the pad or bat next to the pad is it, yeah is there's a not a lot of French this, cricket going on it's a silly point still in the game for whatever I mean Abs- I just, absolutely I mean for one hand one bounce which is what it is yeah I mean but the batters don't really start a chance now because you can't use your leg and claim that you're outside the line because DRS yeah. has brought that in. Yeah, yeah, that's what um, changed. So, yeah, it's just, I think it's just every man for himself. Who is um, the person that is most competitive in that environment, despite the fact that it's a game of it's families playing cricket in a corridor? Uh, David Willey. He just won't give an inch. Does he David Willey, yeah. He, take, he takes diving catches when it's the kids who are four, five and six hitting the ball. On a hard surface? On a hard surface, he can't help himself. Is that sensible? I remember once being in Dubai with, uh, on a sort of, um, I'd gone to do an after dinner speech, a, a cricket thing, and afterwards there were first class cricketers who were decided. One of them had found a bit of cardboard, and it was a sort of like a ballroom in one of those demented hotels, and they were running along and hurling themselves onto this piece of flat cardboard on a shiny floor to see how hard they would go. And I remember thinking. This is about three weeks out from the start of the first class season. I can't believe that this is sensible behaviour. And one of them I noticed was not fit to play when the season began. Uh, so I just, I don't, I mean, given that people now get injured on golf courses, I think you all need to be wrapped in more cotton wool. And that, essentially, nowhere's safe, Mark. I was sitting at a table with, have you met um, Peter Hayter, cricket writer? He, yeah. He was doing a remarkably funny bit of clowning. I can't tell you what time of night or morning this was, but he had a he had a pudding in front of him. He'd already he'd already tied each corner of his napkin and put it over his head like a sort of Gumby man. And then there was this leftover cream pudding on a table, and uh, he got 
he got a spoon and very carefully, like a gentleman shaving in the mirror, applied all of the cream from this pudding all over his beard. Right? <laughs> and then and then got another spoon, a clean spoon, and very delicately shaved it all off again. So I was watching a quite weird sort of piece of um, quite brilliant clowning. Um, but I was uh, I was in, in hysterics. Yeah, very um, a very strange sight, very strange, very strange trip. What was I it? Mean, I tell you what, actually, um, and I've got I've got here my, my thought processes. This is via Dubai, in that part of the world, uh, a neutral venue we could call it. Tell us about being on tour in Pakistan. Um, it was great. Uh, the only thing I would say that was probably the only negative I would say was that the amount of security was quite overwhelming when you first get there. Mm-hmm. From my experience in Pakistan, the people were lovely, couldn't be any more hospitable, um, just really wanted to help, very respectful of your space and your time. Um, and just a cricket loving, mad country. Um, I mean, one of the games at uh, Karachi was um, really loud, as loud as I've yeah. come across. Um, so, yeah, there were. It, it was a, a hard trip in the fact that it sort of felt back a little bit like COVID times, back in your room, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. But um, fantastic, you know, people and and um, just great to be able to play cricket there, really. Yeah, because there must have been a large chunk of your life, let alone professional career, where the thought of the thought of playing international cricket in Pakistan uh, would not would not have been a possibility. Yeah, and, uh, and to be honest, I don't think that I would have gone if it hadn't have been for our security man, Reg Dickerson, who is, um, he's the man that's, you know, sorts the trip out and stuff. And, um, you know, I never thought that we'd end up going there, but he he had given a presentation to all the players saying that um, it was safe and he was happy with it and yeah. we trust this man. So um, off we went. You were hitting top speeds. Instantly, I mean, have you done a lot of net bowling then? I mean, your way—you've had a slow way. But I think the last time we spoke was maybe when you were just going. I don't know what I can. I'm doing everything they tell me, and I'm still not right. I mean, between now and then, yeah. you've obviously gone on a massive journey. But were you in the nets then? You presumably you're going absolutely flat out. Yeah, the nets. I felt great. I mean, the, after the second operation, the first one where I felt um, it hadn't really. When I look back now, it hadn't really done the the trick. It was sort of like. I was struggling through and struggling through and struggling through and it just wasn't, I would have to have like three or four days off and like I mentioned last time, whereas this time, as soon as I'd had this operation done, when I came back this time, as soon as the stitches and that were out, I felt like my arm was just instantly normal. I'm just reading, and uh, I think you'd enjoy this book, Mark. I'm just reading, I was giving it for my birthday, a book by Philip Clive Roderick Tufnell of uh, Middlesex in England called uh, How Not to Be a Cricketer. Uh, which, like like you, he's thought of a really good sort of way back into doing a kind of um, a memoir. And I'm amazed by, as a young player, how how sort of aggressive how aggressive he is. And like long before he'd even like played for England, the way he'd sort of send someone like Gooch on his way and stuff like that in a county game. And just... so, are you are you telling me that that is your favourite cricketing book at the minute? No, it's the one I'm reading at the minute. I am. Are you altering me again? No. Look, Mark, obviously my favourite cricket book, um, that, sorry, that I haven't written, is is uh, <laughs> is The Woodlife. Although I have written a bit of it, haven't I? So I've got a little afterword, is that what I am? I think your book's fa- fabulous, Mark. And I think, am I right in thinking it's available in all good bookshops? It is, you're right. And uh, you can that's get it on The, on, the Woodlife. That's The Woodlife, available good in bookshops. all good bookshops. And presumably some that are just sort of all right. Um, yeah. Uh, have you done the audiobook? 
no, I'm going to do it when I get home, believe it or not. I've been uh, practicing my um, consonants and vowels and pronunciation and, 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 and. And what have you. But it needs to be, it needs to be you being, sounding like you, you are. I know, but. That's what, pe- that's what you get the audiobook for, to hear your, your sort well, of the Ashton vowels. But also the other people that have written little bits of the book, you could get them in to do their bits. That's... Or I could do them. Like, Scadamoose, Scadamoose, will you do the Fandango? <laughs> that's, that's right. So the bit that's Ben Stokes, you could do You could do a sort of Ben Stokes impression. The, the little Miles mm. jump bit, you could do it. Well, I doubt, I doubt you could be a, do an impression of me, Mark, because that's just, um, it's so, so distinctive. Uh, I mean, it's just absurd. Michael Atherton oh, gosh. Right. is okay. the greatest player of all time. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Lewis Moody. Uh, you see, it's all, it all um, yeah, it's all good. Um, now, listen, you've arrived in um, Australia. Uh, how, how hateful is that? Um, we've, we've done quite a bit of travelling around it so far, but luckily we've been winning against the Australians so far. Yeah. And we've got a massive game coming up on Friday, which the warm-up games really don't mean anything because Australia seem to turn it on in competitions, don't they? They're like... Yeah. Um, like the Brazil of the football world. It doesn't matter how they're doing. As soon as it comes to a competition, they're, they're right amongst it. So that'll be a huge game at the MCG. That's happening. Also, yeah, so, that, that's the attitude thing, isn't it? The sheer the sheer competitiveness. You know, you never yeah. you never look at an Australian team and think, well, that's a team that knows it's it's beat. You know, it's just it's all out until the um, all out until the whistle. What's the cricketing equivalent of the whistle? It's never occurred to me. It's just someone saying, Oh, that's time, gentlemen, I suppose. What's the mm. what you know, like till the bills come off? Yeah, and that's you kind of would like a proper sound associated, wouldn't you? That's the, the bale, yeah. You know, like in boxing, obviously. Uh, like do you know what actually is my most hated sound in cricket? You've just thinking that that one, the the uh, the twenty twenty, and everyone goes, "Hey, yeah." Uh, what is that? I feel like it's been it's been overplayed. The trumpet noise, no. And yeah, Trump and Wangans. And everyone well, I quite goes, like that. Oh. But that's a reminder that you're, you know, that like it might happen in a quiet bit of the game, isn't it? And it's a reminder, perhaps needed to the players on the field. We're all here, you know, don't, don't, you know, do, do crack on. Uh, essentially, is the message there. It's to spur <laughs> you think, into yeah, ever greater feats. Mate, we, went to, we went to a Perth basketball game as one of the right. things to do with, with our time off. And they had an announcer who I honestly reckon in a, what is it, like 15 minutes a quarter game or whatever it is, I reckon I spent, so what's that, an hour? So I reckon I spent 55 minutes watching the announcer. He was that good. Yeah. Let's go, Wildcats. Let's go. (laughs) And he was like, pretend to punch at the camera. And then he would like, yeah, yeah. And like these people aren't like in the crowd, aren't like right up for it. Yeah. But the way that he carried himself... He just doesn't stop doing it. Yeah, it, it's always oh. a big show. Uh, I um, I went to see uh, the New York Yankees versus the Baltimore Orioles in something like 1998, 99. And I, they've got, obviously, the good announcements and they've got also... but like the, You went the to line. see the Yankees? I went to see... Did I you grab to, a coffee? Uh, I did. I grabbed a coffee and a hot dog. <laughs> i tell you what I did. I got... I was with uh, two friends and they we got lost in the Bronx in um in a reasonably smart car and I was like sort of laughing in the back going oh this is like in a novel isn't it you know 
And I, they just, one of them just went, it was my friend's older brother went, this isn't funny. Stop it. <laughs> and, I, and we were lost uh, for about 40 minutes. They were, they would jump in lights. There was, it was sort of proper, proper fear. But the game, I absolutely loved it. And I love that the sort of Hammond organ being played live and just sort of reading the game and, and doing it. I did. I, w I went on a tour of, maybe I've told you this before, I went on a tour of the SCG when I was in some downtime in, in Sydney. And there, and I went on the stadium tour, but it was only me on it. And they meant to show you the cricket and all the rules stuff. And I said, can we just do the cricket stuff? There's only me. I don't think we need to. Is that all right? And he was fine about that. But all, but, but what he wasn't used to was doing a tour to one person. So he gave me, quite exhausting as the sort of, as the single person being shown around, because he was giving me the full sell. If he was telling a story, it was big and loud. And if he had a few jokes, he'd say something and then point at me and go, he knows what I'm talking about. And I thought, well, I, yes, I'm, uh, you know, I felt like sort of Travis Bickle. Um, uh, there's nobody else here kind of way. So you've had a game. You've had a game against Afghanistan at the moment at which we're speaking. Um, people at home in the future. Who knows how long in the future? You may be one of these people that's heard about this podcast year in the future and thought, "Gosh, I wonder if that's still up." Uh, at this point in time, it is the year twenty twenty two. It's early in uh, the most recent T Twenty World Cup. Obviously, they don't. You know, they're sort of fairly incessant these days. But you, England, Mark's team, have just played the opening game against Afghanistan, in which you bowled the fastest average spell. In a T Twenty World Cup, partly because you don't, you don't, you you don't bowl slower balls, so it means you're. Uh, I have, yeah, I have tried a few um, in the practice game and stuff like that, but they're still a work in progress. It's very difficult when you play three formats to then go from because you just feel like you start to get one, and then I have yeah. to go off to ball red ball cricket. So I think I will get, I will get there eventually. I am trying. Um, also, it's your thing, but, you know, if you're a pace bowler, the fact that you're pacey that's that sort of danger isn't it i always slightly feel that you know those pitches where oh when you're playing the spinners it's the one that goes ones that goes straight that you've got to worry about and that's their danger ball and you think well imagine being a spin bowler and your danger ball being the one that sort yeah. of goes straight how, how, what, did, what did you think of um the india pakistan match did you see that uh, uh i've only read about it i've seen a couple of clips of uh, virat kohli who you obviously when you're playing against him those he's got that sort of I mean, in terms of when one the country one supports is playing against him, you'll you'll know differently. But that kind of there's an awe about him, and you think you always think, even if he's in dreadful form, you think there's something about him. He he could sort of kind of do this, and I know he's kind of what did uh, Sam Mendy? He said he was a sort of Quentin Tarantino sort of style. If he was a director, there's a kind of sort of good at picking himself up and stuff like that. But in terms of I suppose also for someone that's been in quite a bad run of form for quite a long time to suddenly turn it on like that in that kind of environment, uh, absolutely amazing knock, amazing knock. Really, like I think um, what you don't want to do, especially in world competitions, is sort of like awaken the beast within. Yeah, and if he's if he's sort of if that's a kickstart for him for this tournament, then they're going to be hard to stop because um, some of the shots he played. I mean, he played one of Harris Ralph, like a back foot punch but straight for six at the MCG which is a massive yeah. ground oh, yeah but incredible. also you've got you've all had times and you've got I mean how many times have you got Coley out not many I don't think I can think of one or, one or two maybe I mean I think I still think of like so obviously you've got Adil Rashid in your team you know with that when he Ed Smith brought him back into the test side amazing you know he bowled brilliantly at Coley I've still got that sort of very strong image of Coley looking absolutely bamboozled by one that's you know Big, 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 big leg spinner that pitched a long way outside leg and, and got him. You've still got those little things that can... 
be gnawing away at him. But there's lots of teams that are, as you say, Australia always turn it on at the vital moments. But also the other thing is people like, you know, what should someone like Paul Sterling play for Ireland? Paul Sterling is an astonishing cricketer, isn't he? Yeah, he's a good player. And that's who we, I mean, if you're listening to this, we're playing them tomorrow. So I've had to do some homework, some analysis work on him, um, as we do with every team. And he's obviously a key player for them. If we can get him up early, then that'll go a long way, but he can be destructive. So, Oh, my um, word. Yeah, yeah. He's absolutely astonishing. But if you... But a lot of the, a lot of the nations, like I've watched a few of the games, obviously being here in Australia before, that like sort of like the um, associate nations that then have to qualify. So obviously West Indies got beat, Sri Lanka and so on. All the games were good, competitive, good cricket. So just hopefully, you know, if the standard's coming up and up and it opens to more and more nations playing, yeah. I think that's fantastic for the game. But also how quickly, you know, some of them, if you look at Af- Afghanistan, the standard they play is, is astonishing. Yeah, and a, and a UAE, UAE spinner took a hat-trick in the World Cup. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, this, you hope that this is kick-start for everybody across the game because well, 20 years ago, would you have said that UAE would be in a World Competition, a guy would take a, the first hat-trick? You would never say that. Oh, Miles, I tell you, so do you know how we were talking about um, blackberry hunting and stuff like that? The fact that I, I mean, you've missed the blackberry season. I did yeah. go blackberry hunting. Um, the fact that we didn't talk about it, you know, still cuts me deep, but never mind. Um, I tell you what I did do in the North Sea this year. I yeah. caught my first lobster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In blue, a cage. They were all blue. No, in a fishing net. Yeah. L- little net, you know, like the little nets you buy from like the corner shop. At the beach, yeah. like they sell ice cream and then little nets. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going around the rock pools near where we live, trying to look for crabs. And um, we've got a, we've got a starfish, we've got a couple of lobsters, a couple of crabs, um, an urchin, and we've got one more. A sea and one of them as well. And this was all, is that a word in your book, Mark? I would, I would just double check. Seeing and 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 the word anemone is in your uh, is in your book before you uh, before you do the audio book of it. Um, that because around there, that so that's fishing. You were doing, you were just on foot. You were just leaping from rock to rock, yeah, effectively. Rock uh, across the rocks, yeah. Before the tide came in, and little rock pools, and there was a couple of bigger rock pools where it was probably up to like thigh height. So, uh-huh. um, took my son and my wife, and we were hunting around for crabs and lifting up things and. Um, yeah, catching them and then putting them back after. Which um, which beach were you on? Uh, Cresswell. Because up there, because I'm, I, it's so fantastic there. I went there. You have you been on one of those boats that go out of sea houses? And you, uh... oh, I, um, the captain he always sings, "Thou shall have a fishy on yeah. a little dishy." Thou shall have a fishy. We were uh, a few years ago. We were up staying near Annick. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and they were catching things straight out of the sea in buckets. And did you put this um, this lobster back? I did, yes. You're actually not allowed to keep them, I don't think. Well, not Unless yet. there are certain, some, some about the size of them, they have to be over a certain size or something. But Oh, I see. Um, we, we were just catching them and putting them back. So you're going to be quite good then, so come the apocalypse, you're quite good at fo- sort of foraging and things like that. Yeah, but if, uh, if something goes wrong, oh, what am I going to do? Catch it and just uh, be like, well, I'll just throw this back. Oh, I'm not, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, well, oh gosh. Well, let's not let's not worry about the end of the world. There's some, um, you know, you're, you've got a World Cup to play first. So, oh yeah, you were asking uh, the, the, as well. The thing I'm in then, no, nobody has any interest in cricket whatsoever. 
and the, the the play that I'm I'm in, I mention I mention, uh, and I do this as a sort of coping mechanism. Just make a sort of reference to cricket that people wouldn't notice. Uh, and occasionally, someone goes, "Oh, I like Diddler Dur." And then actually, so when we were in Cheltenham, one of the crew came up and said, "Oh, I saw you doing stand up in um, Norwich a few a few years ago." Um, I, I would have been one of the people that got the sort of Mike Gatting reference, and I can't remember what that was, but that is a thing that I do: is I put in like a sort of little side, like a little thing that you sort of stitched into the lining, like a little reference to cricket that is there only for cricket people to enjoy or appreciate, or indeed just feel part of something. But the other people that aren't interested, of course, won't, won't, won't sort of even notice that it's um, it's happening. It's just kind so of so. Have you stitched something into this player? It's a little cricket. Uh, there is uh, there is a reference to an oval test in this play. It's not it's not made by me, but my character. And I don't know if this is what the writer intended. I nod appreciatively when they mention when they mention cricket. That's uh, that's part of our sort of heist gang. I know people um, can't see this, but can you nod for me with how you? Well, yeah, that is very appreciative. Yeah, yeah. Very appreciative. It's, it's an yeah. appreciative nod. It's uh, it's all part of the skill set, Mark. You know, there'll be aspects of your you know what you do for a living that people just don't understand or. Or appreciate, and I suppose that's yeah. It's just those little tiny things that you work on, and the effort, the thought that goes into it. You know, oh, I tell you what, there's a bit in this play when a guy lets off a bit of, he just out of nowhere. I don't know how he does it. Like this sort of flame appears, and we were um, we were rehearsing right near the Oval on uh, uh, Harleyford Road, which um, I don't know if you take the tube to Vauxhall when you're um, playing at the Oval, uh, but that's the road that you would walk up from Vauxhall to the Oval. We were sort of rehearsing just off there. And it was in the script, this bit about this flame appears uh, and we hadn't seen it, but the guy, he does, Tim, he does, he, he's a very good magician. And then we were doing a run through for the first time in front of some of the producers and the backers and stuff. And he suddenly, for the first time, did the flame thing. And it was absolutely fucking massive. And it was like the first time I went to um, one of those sort of one, one dayers where they have those flame things that just i think maybe the yeah. world cup final every time a boundary goes off and i was sitting near one in some absolute run fest and at no point during the hundred overs of cricket i see did i get used to the fact that every time there's a boundary they would be right in front of where i was sitting <laughs> a sort of huge spike of fire and the whole of the place was slightly stopped because everyone went oh oh god i've forgotten that <laughs> it was absolutely terrifying Middle Please Umpire is proud to be sponsored by Step One Underwear, the UK's choice for comfortable, breathable and no-chafe boxers. Step One believes great achievements start with getting the basics right. So delivering maximum comfort while you're compiling your century or coming in for your third spell of the day is all important. Step One's stylish boxers are worn by elite cricketers and sports people the world over. But why do they wear them? Well, they completely eliminate chafing with their ultra-glide panels, which prevent your thighs from rubbing together. So get rid of the baby powders, lotions, or whatever other remedy you use. They have got your thighs covered. Not only that, they're ethically made, sourced from sustainably grown organic bamboo, making them super soft, antibacterial, and breathable, keeping your, and I can't believe I'm saying this, meat and two veg dry all day, whether you're on the pitch or going about your other everyday shenanigans. It's not just gentlemen who get to enjoy the comfort of Step One, they have a women's boxer range as well. Step One are so confident that you'll love them that there's a 30-day money-back guarantee on your first purchase. 
If you don't like your first pair for whatever reason, they will give you a full refund and you get to keep the pants. So you can try them out completely risk-free. Best of all, for a limited time, listeners of Middle Please Umpire, that's you, can get a whopping 30% off the entire range. Just head to step1.life and enter the code MP30 at checkout. See what the fuss is all about and make Step 1 an essential part of your daily chafe and sweat-free living. Step 1. Get some. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools helps you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill is who you play with. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now then, do you know, do you know, uh, well, firstly, just tell us a little bit. Um, We've got an absolutely groaning mailbag, if you don't mind my saying. But um, we, uh, I think, just tell us a little bit about your, what's in your head going forward for the T20 World Cup? Your one, your one game. Uh, I feel like going forward. I don't know. I just feel like. What do you think? Uh, I think it from, be very from nice. the outside. From the outside, um, people outside of cricket. Uh, I, I, th- I think there's so many teams that look very, very good. I think there's so many teams create capable of creating an upset. Uh, obviously, as a, a supporter of the uh, the England and Wales cricket team, uh, it would be uh, fantastic to hold two World Cups at once. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that's obsessed, obsessed with legacy, but I can imagine for people like you and Moen and Adil, say, that have played in both of those, that that would be an amazing thing to pull off. But again, well, absolutely, no, no, no pressure, obviously, and I, I think. <laughs> For me, and I hope people listening to this podcast, the to be able to turn on the television or the radio and see or hear about you absolutely, you know, having heard you coming back from injury and how difficult that was to just to see you in, in absolutely full flight steaming in and, you know, touching 97.1 miles an hour. That is, honestly, Mark, that is... You know, a few months ago when you was going, I just don't know what I can do. I'm doing everything they ask. I'm just not. And it's really frustrating to see you, you know, getting to the top of your mark, turning around with a little bit of a cheeky smile on your face and then absolutely herring it in, you know, nicking people off from the from the off. You know, that that is a glorious sight, Mark. But I'm aware you, it's man. part of a wider team, a wider team thing. But that must be, you know, I'm sure your, uh, your compadres are very happy with that as well. Um, Thank you. So, best of luck. Um, best of luck with it. Um, uh, we're, we're all very proud of you, regardless. And as long as you do your best, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, now, look, we've got uh, an absolutely groaning mailbag, uh, and I'm going to start. Going, oh, hang on. No, your your room service has arrived. Oh, you started eating it just before we started recording this. I had the pleasure of watching on Zoom uh, the way that Mark Wood, uh, 97.1 mile an hour fast bowler interacts with someone bringing room service to him which i would say is very similar to um the way a long-term agoraphobic 
person would treat uh, someone who's arrived at the door insisting that they're just there to read a meter uh, let's look at this absolutely jumbo i mean this mailbag this is like i don't know if you came out of a sort of medium length prison term or something like that and you open your door for the first time for ages just at the absolute number so while you're while you're eating spaghetti i'll read out loud um Gosh, I imagine that's sort of something that people in care homes get to say quite often. Um, um, okay, right. <laughs> okay, quite, quite unfair. Right. Okay, um, uh, right. So this is in the middle, please, Empire Series for bonus. This is a bonus episode, I suppose. It is episode eight. Done these. So um, on a variety of topics, let's uh, let, let's take them as they come. Uh, and uh, so there's a number on the subject of quirky grounds. I think this started because of a conversation about was it a was it a a cricket pitch that had a train going through the middle of it or a road tree a tree tree and a road we started off with a tree and then it went to a road okay quirky grounds well this one is from my goodness me this is from a friend of the show i'll give you a clue you'll have heard of this person uh quite a distinctive uh a batting style reminiscent of the sort of animal that you might find crustacean that you might find uh, in the rock pools of uh, northumbria Left-handed, particularly uh, a way of leaving the ball. An astonishing wicketkeeper, an artist, Mr. Jack Russell. It is. It's Mr. Jack Russell has written in. That is incredible. Um, Graysford. Uh, it was great talking to him, wasn't it? Fantastic. I must. I still think I must pop into his uh, gallery. Right. He says um, Graysford uh, Cricket Club has a big oak in play, while Bradnam has slopes that make lawns look like a billiard table plus a church, a manor house, and a pavilion across the nearby room. Those are, I wonder if he still plays then, Jack Russell. I can't remember if we asked him that. He'd have, he'd have so much to offer. Even now, I reckon he could stand up to... So when he painted that ground that had the big slope, do you think he turned his thing on an angle? I think probably what you'd have to do is you'd, you'd, you'd have adjustable legs on your sort of tripod easel, wouldn't you? So you could make one longer so the, so the frame could stay on the level. And then you'd sort of take it's so slow. bright. I'm just, I'm very, just, just very practical, Mark. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not remotely practical. Um, okay, um, Jack Russell, that, thank you for writing, Jack. That is, it's, it, honestly, it's amazing to hear from you. Uh, Rob Richardson, I remember playing at Shamley Green Cricket Club in Surrey many years ago. They have not one, but two roads inside the boundary. <laughs> the scoreboard was hung from the lamppost. <laughs> Uh, that does sound absolutely terrifying. I hope they're quiet roads, not sort of major A roads. You know, like those people that hold out when there's someone someone wants to build a sort of M road right through their land or whatever, and you end up with one sort of little tiny house with two. So is it actually roads two roads, or is it one road, and he's describing the wicket as a road? Oh, I see what you mean. I I suspect it's one, two separate roads. I hope, imagine they're not. Do one pimp. Oh, dear. Through one pitch. Uh, for the benefit of people listening at home, Mark Wood is, and I can't believe this, uh, <laughs> is struggling to talk in an animated fashion whilst eating spaghetti. <laughs> He's absolutely. You're wearing a white. Why would if you've got that much tomato sauce? Why you're wearing a white, white sweatshirt? You're absolutely a hostage. To I like thought. to live on the edge, Miles. Well, it's it's certainly making me nervous, and I'm you know on the other side of the world. Um, okay. Uh, Peter Smith, Hatfield Health, oh, sorry, Hatfield Heath Cricket Club. Hatfield Health, I imagine, is some sort of private insurance company. Um, Hatfield <laughs> Heath Cricket Club has the matching road running through the outfield about 20 yards behind the wicket. 
I had a funny episode there once when the ball hit a passing car and we were able to run the batter out off the rebound. How <clears throat> how can you play cricket in an environment like that without sort of... I mean, the ones you'd be anxious about were, were drivers that hadn't been in... You know, if it was just people that knew the area well, you'd think, well, they, this is the bit when they know to really watch out. But I uh, yeah. I, I would be anxious. Uh, Aidan, the well, I would... Was, I, sorry? I, I would ne- I'm just saying I would never get tired of it. But also, you, hey, 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 honk. Um, of course, there's some grounds <laughs> where when, when you lengthened your run-up, Mark, would have become impossible for you to play if your run-up had to go across, you know, two lanes of mm. traffic. You'd be like, um, yeah, that is true. Bowfinger. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ada, the ground at De La Salle Cricket Club has such a slope that you cannot properly see the game if you're fielding at fine leg or third man. You can see occasionally see the top of a head or a ball that goes in the air. A very odd experience. I think also that's the sort of if you're you you could say, oh, I'll, I'll go at fine leg or third man, and you could offer to take the difficult one on the basis that no one could see it. And if you fail to stop <laughs> yeah. things, one there's a sort of lottery element to it, isn't there? But if you fail to stop things, I'd really I don't know, I can't be near, nearby. And of course, you could insist absolutely that you absolutely stopped everything or the ball pulled up before it went over the boundary. Yeah. So what would happen if the ball goes in the air? Would the umpire have to sprint up the hill to see if you caught it? Yeah, effectively, you'd have to. Uh, something I suppose. Well, I suppose the game at that level, of I suppose, you can rely on the honesty of the people playing it. Which I, do, I mean, there's so much technology in the, the elite level at which you play, presumably. You know, it's no longer incumbent upon players to be honest because you just let technology to make the um, make the decisions, which is uh, mm. in a way sad. Uh, now, look, Tim Vine. I don't know if it's the Tim Vine I know. Having recently attended a reunion for a team I played for in the early nineties, the Devils, a collection of villages in South Wiltshire, I was reminded of an incident that I thought may add to the category of quirky grounds. This ground we played on was tiny on one side with a large slate roof barn, which backed onto a farm. The farmer had understandably become tired of replacing the tiles broken by the many balls that would land upon the barn over the course of the summer, usually by some top edge or shank drive rather than genuinely aimed. This this, this is not Tim Vine, the comedian. This is, this is a man that lives and breathes pure pure cricket. He demanded we brought in a six and out rule for anything that landed on or over the roof. This became known as barned out in the scorebook and the local <laughs> paper which supported our game. Um, I was reminded of the tale of the local vicar, the Reverend Philip Morgan, uh, also known as the Rev from the Dev, uh, a decent all-rounder, but someone who had never reached three figures. One day, he defied his advancing years and got into the nervous 90s. Moving to 93, he found himself facing a decidedly average spinner, with the 100 now a genuine reality. A moderate crowd had gathered in expectation on the boundary edge. In came said spinner and served up a delicious full banger on leg stump. The Rev's eyes lit up. He swung his gun and more, and you know what's coming. Launched the ball with unerring accuracy, flush off to the middle of the barn. 99, barned out. (laughs) As painful an end to an innings as could be imagined, I leave you with the official report of the incident in the Warminster Journal. As the ball landed, a hush descended on the ground. The reverend, tucking his bat under his arm, turned to the pavilion, uttering words not usually associated with a man of the cloth. <laughs> 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 oh, that is great absolutely story. glorious. Thank you, Tim Vine. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, also, uh, uh, it sh- should we head into Series 5? Any any letters that in- involve... Um, 
grounds with quirks that means that r- the rules have had to had to change uh, significantly. Uh, it'd be very nice to hear from. Uh, now this we've got. Uh, this is about cricketers in nets. This is Alex McDonald. Uh, when I was a young cricketer and keen as mustard, we had the excitement of hosting Berkshire in a minor counties cricket fixture at my local club in Wiltshire. At the time, our netting facilities were not the greatest, consisting of two sections of lively artificial matting with a dirt ditch straddling between the two mats midway up the wicket. An elderly chap walked round to the nets in his pads and asked us to bowl him a few balls before he went out to bat. Little did we know at the time, this was actually former England spinmeister John Embry, who was still playing minor counties what must have been well into his 40s. He played a test match at the age of 42 uh, as the fastest of the kids, the uh, Old Trafford in 95, you'll remember, Mark, under the captaincy of... Michael Atherton. As the fastest of the kids... Don't roll your eyes like that. It's not a good look for Anderson Spaghetti. As the fastest of the kids bowling, I eagerly picked up a brand new shiny backbreaker ball from my bag and steamed it in as fast as I could. After politely flatbedding my first ball back to me, both John and I were surprised at my second ball... <laughs> Naturally, I was trying to bowl too fast, and I dragged the ball woefully short with the ball perfectly landing on the lip of the artificial matting protruding at the edge of the ditch. The ball shot up like an Exocet missile and thudded into John's midriff, causing primal, a primal grunt of pain and frustration. <laughs> Naturally, this didn't go down well. He stared at me for what seemed like an hour before telling me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> swiftly, swiftly bringing our net session to an end. I've heard it many times before. The reason that, um, yeah, John, John Embry uh, w- was quite renowned for his um, exceptional skills at swearing in the dressing room. Um, uh, now, uh, <laughs> yeah, two ball net session. <laughs> Thank you very much. I um oh talking of um swearing at people I bumped into um Derek Pringle on a on a rainy day at Lords uh very nice to see uh, was see it the was it Derek Pringle or was it Gus Fraser oh, was it, it was <laughs> it was it was definitely the mighty Pringle I went I went to Lords on a day it, it rained all day we watched two hours of cricket and then and then it just rain came down but we didn't end up leaving the ground to half five we were sort of drinking under the fire escape at the bottom of the press box and just chatting to people. It was, <laughs> to be honest, one of my favourite days of the cricket ever. Um, now, this is a case of mistaken identity. Lily from London. Uh, I'm writing in with a follow-up to a letter on the last episode of your podcast. I will start by saying I don't like cricket much and don't usually listen to cricket podcasts, but I've been made aware that my story might be of interest to you both. I work with your producer, Nathan, and I know he shared his story of meeting Sachin Tendulkar, whoever he is, at a recent Elton John concert by way of seeing cricketers in unexpected places. Nathan mentioned this chance encounter to hey, me in the stop, office. Stop, stop, stop. Collaborate, listen. Sachin, Sachin Tendulkar, new... whoever he is. Well, if you're not a cricket fan, it's not unreasonable that you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. I mean, I get that, but Sachin Tendulkar. Yeah, but... The little master. The little <laughs> maestro. When... But when did the, the MRF? Master, when did the little master, uh, the Mumbai rubber factory? When did the when did the little master? Is that what it stands for? I can never remember. When did the little master retire? I'm not sure. Because people, you know, you forget. I mean, I'm 43, Mark. I'm older than the, the most recent prime minister, and you forget how, like, you know, you can be talking to someone and they're 20 years younger. They, you know, they won't have a clue 
a lot of millennials. You try to talk to them about sort of Michael Atherton's, um, you know, the difference between the way he batted before and after spinal surgery, and they look at you like you're mad. Um, sorry, I've totally spoiled. Sorry, start again. No, we're not, we're not start again. We had a very um, perfectly perfectly valid uh, interjection. I work with the producer Nathan. I only shared his story with me, Sachin Tadoka, whoever he is, at a recent Elton John concert by way of seeing cricketers in unexpected places. Nathan mentioned this chance encounter to me after this later that week and showed me the selfie he had with Mr. Tendulkar. It was at that very moment I realised there had been an awful mistake. Let me explain. I had also been at that concert, and with it being such a major London festival, it's not uncommon to see celebs if you're in the right place. That afternoon, we were in the queue for the bar when all of a sudden there was a commotion with an excited crowd gathering around one particular gentleman and his entourage. We leant in to take a closer look. Short stature, tanned good looks, curly hair. Oh my God, my friend shrieked. It's Bruno Mars. Bruno was being surrounded by fans and was chatting away, so we joined the back of the crowd of people showing him the requests. For the rest of the weekend, I was telling anyone who'd listened that we'd met none other than Bruno Mars and said how lovely he was. It was only after I saw Nathan's selfie a few days later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I realised my mistake. This wasn't Bruno Mars we fawned over. It was someone called Sachin Tendalco. To be fair, he was very polite and took all the misdirected compliments about Uptown Funk. <laughs> <laughs> With a thank you and a smile. I definitely heard at least one other person tell him that their daughter loves his music. <laughs> I'm still none the wiser about cricket, but glad this embarrassing mix-up will no doubt amuse someone. Uh, there we are. Thank you very much. That's very kind that's of you. Someone class. who is not interested in cricket and doesn't listen to cricket podcasts, understandably. Yeah, that's world class. Thank you very much. World class. Uh, Lily, that is fantastic. Um, are there other categories open in our ever-growing mailbag? Unusual grounds, cricketers spotted in everyday places, uh, finding yourself playing against or with professional cricketers, uh, umpiring incidents or worse games? Hi, it's David Gower here. Uh, yes, it's me. Look, it's it's slightly embarrassing, but look, Mark and Miles, they've, they've forgotten the email address again. So look, if you've got any cricketing tales, stories, whatever it might be you want to send to them, please email them at middleplease at hotmail.com. Um, and if that's too much, well, try Twitter or Instagram. Oh, uh, I, I tell you what, Mark, that you should watch. It's on the iPlayer at the moment, if you can um, access that. Uh, Our Friends in the North. Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, Mark, that's a proper piece of television. Is it about the guy in the canoe? No, that's called the man, his wife, and the canoe. Huh. That's about either. that's about the canoeist Derek um, uh, oh. Pringle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, it was about that extraordinary news story where Derek Pringle turned up at a police station claiming to have lost his memory. And it turned out that actually he hadn't. He'd faked his own death and moved to Panama. Uh, and he was only caught. He was only caught <laughs> because he shouted, I'm Derek Pringle, you <laughs> to the desk officer. Uh, yeah, that is for that. just said he was Gus Fraser. That is, yeah, canoe man. John, no, he's not called Derek, that man at all. He's called John Darwin. The canoeist John Darwin. Is that near you then, where he's from then, the canoeist John Darwin? Uh, not far, not far. And is it true that everyone knew for about 18 months that he was definitely still alive and had spotted him? Right. It was a bit too far for me to know, but apparently some people knew. Oh, dear, that's sad, isn't it? Well, I, you know, you managed to make that bowl of spaghetti last 70 minutes, Mark, so you're doing all right. I think it's fair to say that we've talked around a wide uh, variety of subjects of unexpected. As there's only two minutes left. Quick, 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 quick. Up. Two minutes left on the um, on the old um, 
right. it's all quick. Yeah, and, so, and what, what yeah. you're doing, I don't mean to make this sound like a domestic, but what you're doing, Mark, is using some of those two minutes. You're using them up, telling me to hurry up. Um, so you've, you, you know, you've... Two, you've, two, two. Tap and go, tap and go, tap and go. Come on, get back. Why, why don't I sulk and you dive, do the wrap-up? dive. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening. Hopefully we'll be back with a new series. Um, do, um, yeah, yeah. Um, just keep keep doing what you do and, uh, and loving it with your usual panache. New gloves, please. Oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. Podcast Network.